<clears throat> One ringy dingy, Lynn residence, how may I help you? Hello, is this Drew? Drew? We haven't had a Drew here for a week. Boy, was he a riot. Guess I dialed the wrong number. Guess you did, Buttercakes, but in that case, what do you want? Uh, what's your favorite scary movie? Are you talking about my home movies that I made last week? Or something really chilling and spooky? <laughs> yeah, something like The Killer Kills All the Girls. Oh, I just love that one. I think you're talking about the Trump presidency. And what's yours there, little sweetheart? God damn it, you stole what I was actually going to say. <laughs> Hold on to, welcome to the second Paul Lind Halloween special brought to you by Gilded Films. And here, as always, is me, Paul Lind, and our very special guest host, Margaret Hamilton. We're going to have on. <laughs> and here they are now, your crazy, kooky, scary boys, Brett and Christian. <laughs> what else can I say? That was amazing. From- <laughs> what else can you say, but who the heck were you even impersonating? <laughs> hey, you sound like Paul. That was good. That was good. I enjoyed that. I'm a little, I don't know how to follow that up now. I think (laughs) that was Paul Lind in Scream. (laughs) If you need a good Halloween recommendation, the Paul Lind Halloween special inspired that intro. Good to know. Good to know. Welcome back, everybody, to Guild Films Podcast. As you have probably gathered, we're doing things a little different this time. We're not going back and looking at Oscars of years past. Instead, we are going to look at a genre that is completely screwed by the Oscars sure. pretty much every year. And so we are going to count down our top 10 horror films of all time. Back with us again, Zay, welcome back. Hello, thank you for having me. Yes, yes. And um, I know I'm really excited about this one because uh, one, it is spooky season. We're recording on October 23rd. 9 p.m. Central Time, and so it's like the perfect time for, to talk about scary movies. And I know that you both really love scary movies, so that excites me too. That's my shit. I love it so much. And I'm Mexican. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, so Zay, I want to start with you. Before we get started with our countdown, I want to know kind of how you came to love horror films because you do write for them, you write about them pretty often. How did this journey become about for you? Um, well, it was always interesting because when I started out, I was like scared of fucking everything because my imagination is so hyperactive. Like I saw when I first started watching a couple scary movies that my dad showed me, I would just constantly be thinking about them afterward and I would just be terrified. So I think my first gateway though, was the Goosebumps books in like third and fourth grade. Um, Everyone was like, you got to read them. It was like the coolest thing, which is really fun considering they were 15 years old at that point. Um, But they they like like a lasting legacy for those. Um, And so I started reading them like, oh shit, this is good. Like it was like a mixture of like the scary stuff with like the jokes and stuff. So it was like something palatable for me at the time. And then... um, 
I think my dad took me to see like my first horror movie in the theater. And that was my gateway, I think, even though I was scared shitless. I don't remember which came out first, Paranormal Activity or the Friday the 13th remake. He took me to both about the same time. Ooh, okay. Um, I think they both came out in 2009 or 2008, that area. Yeah. And both movies terrified the fuck out of me. <laughs> and But after that, I was like, oh, but I'm still interested in them because I'm always thinking about them. So then I started going into like, I remember the Amityville Horror movies were the first two were the first two ones that I sought out by myself. And those paddled me. I, they didn't scare me very much. And I just got more and more into horror. And I realized that my relationship with horror is basically huge escapism or like in terms of very cathartic. Like I can harness this fear. I can watch it on the screen and it's there. Mm-hmm. So that's how kind of my relationship with horror. It's just like stories that if they were in real life, they would generally terrify me, but they're fake and I can turn them off. And that's why they're so powerful to me. Awesome. I love that. Uh, Christian, what about you? In my foray into horror began at my birth. <laughs> you were Rosemary's baby. Yes. <laughs> they said, what happened to his eyes? No. <laughs> While coming up with the list of this, I realized that, scary movies in general are like my family's thing and i say that because like when we get together during holidays or whatnot there's always a moment where we do have time to watch a movie and somebody always says like find us a scary movie or find us investigation discovery but that's neither here nor there but i mean murder can be scary so like it's sort of always been (laughs) yeah it's always been like in my family because there's a movie that we'll be discussing tonight where I remember walking in on my family watching it and I like got there at a very crucial moment where I started freaking out because I was scared shitless. I remember seeing like the sixth sense, uh, the trailer to that and being like scared shitless. I mean, if you've ever seen the trailer to the sixth sense, and I think we talked about this in one of our later podcasts, but no, that scared me. Um, I don't think I really got into it, though, until I was, like, a teenager, and I watched The Twilight Zone, and my first episode for that was the one where they, like, get the facelift, and then she's, spoiler alert, like a normal person, and everybody else. <laughs> I I can remember putting a pillow over my face, because I did not know what the hell happened. But now I look at it, and scary movies are, like, my thing. I love October. I mean, you can watch a scary movie any month of the year. October is just yeah. Halloween month, because why not? They're fun. I like to watch them in the dark, especially on Friday nights, because it's like the weekend. Let's party. That's my version of partying. But yeah. <laughs> yeah. Very nice. I love that. Yeah, I, I'm not going to lie. I was the scaredy cat kid. Like, scary movies didn't do them. Like, they weren't my thing. It terrified me. Um, but, you know, I think the first movie... See, my mom hates scary movies. My dad watched them all the time growing up but kind of got away from him after a while and my hometown we had one theater and they just didn't show scary movies that often um unless they were like really really profitable um i think the first one i saw that at the time i thought resembled horror nowadays i look at it more as sci-fi action was i am legend with will smith and then um after that i'm sure there were more in between but the next one i remember was the woman in black with Daniel Radcliffe. 
and that that kind of got me not gonna lie but yeah um most of my love of horror i'm not um as much of an expert on it as you two are obviously but really teen years especially college years when i really was able to go and see them more often um started you know kind of getting to more of the classics and exploring the genre really a lot more and yeah it's a lot of fun they're like the the rebel of the film world i think in that they they're very unique and often looked over at times for their craft and so i don't know i'm really excited to see what we have on our list so yeah okay we'll just go ahead and jump right into it we've got each of us have 10 films Zay, I'm going to go to you and have you start with your number 10. I would like to preface, though, with my list. I did. <laughs> don't. <laughs> um, I preface that um, I kind of cheated with my list a little bit. If I were a gun to my head, I would not have picked this top 10. But I wanted to get a couple things here and there that were a little different because my top 10 is a little like everyone like the top 10 of all time so <laughs> i cheated a little and put some i still love all of these very much that's fair and would die i would die for all I mean, of them I would take the films, but <laughs> <laughs> so for number 10 um this will definitely save my taste profile um number 10 oh, i have oh, the seed oh. of chucky from 2004 directed by don mancini <laughs> So I love this film so much, unapologetically. So many people think this is garbage and like the lowest point of the Child's Play franchise. Um, it was number five in the series. However, I think it's glorious in all of its like absurdities. So the basic premise is um, after Bride of Chucky, um, Chucky and Tiffany have a child. Now the child is in this new film. And, and their name's Glenn or Glenda. They have not decided <laughs> their gender. It's just a very queer oh, nice. film. Like Don Mancini is a gay man. He, he created the series. He, write, he wrote every one of them. And this is the first one he directed. And you can just see gay handprints all over this movie. John Waters is in it for some reason. Um, he's murdered. Um, yeah, it's just very meta. You can tell it was made post-screen. Yeah. Doesn't John Waters get his face like melted off in that movie? Yes. <laughs> I've seen the scene. Haven't seen the movie, but I've seen the scene. So. All right. Brett's yeah. like, I don't know what to make of this. I've never seen this one. <laughs> I, I haven't. I haven't. <laughs> I have. I don't Are remember it, but I'm looking at like, as we're going, I'm going to be looking at my letterbox reviews. And though I gave it a two star rating, it's like, I said, this is like actually an entertaining movie. It's very good garbage. <laughs> I mean, I mean, the Glenn or Glenda thing made me laugh just when you said it. <laughs> and it's so, it's meta because, um, fuck, what's her name? Who plays Tiffany? Why can't I remember names? Jennifer Tilly. Jennifer Tilly. Fuck. <laughs> she plays Tiffany, but she also plays herself in the movie. <laughs> It's so good. <laughs> That's amazing. Red Man's in it for some reason. <laughs> wow. What a cast. <laughs> okay. 
Uh, Christian, you want to go next with your number 10? This is faster than I thought. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so my number 10, to preface, was very hard to pick because, like, there was a shit ton of movies that I could have put on here. And there was a lot that I was like, is this actually a horror movie? Mm -hmm. Like, I don't know. So my number 10, I got to go really, really super far classic, is Frankenstein. 1931, directed by James Whale. It, of course, tells the classic story of Frankenstein, the crazed doctor who brings a dead man to life, just known as the monster, played by Boris Karloff. And it is, by all accounts, in today's view, probably not as scary as you would think about. But, like, in the view of 1931, when we got a depression going on, scary as hell. Because, like I said, a man is bringing a dead man back to life. Simple as that. I've, I think this is my favorite of the Universal Classic Monsters. Brett, I'm not sure how many you've seen of this. Zay, you've seen quite a few. I've seen quite a few. Mm-hmm. Shout out to our friend and listener, Anthony. We watched like the Mummy series yesterday. Um, but no, yeah, this I think is the best one of the Universal so far that I've seen. Yeah. I remember I just watched that for the first time, like in full a couple years ago. But when I was a kid, I caught the scene where he throws the girl in the lake, scared the shit out of me. Yeah. So I feel that. I think out of all the universal monsters, it's in my top five movies, but I can definitely appreciate like where it went, like how it like is one of the bases for so many horror movies that came after it. And Shout out to our second gay director in a row, James Whale. Yo! Gotta look for those queer subtexts in there, especially when you watch Gods and Monsters. Mm. Honestly, Frankenstein, Bride of Frankenstein, and Gods and Monsters is a perfect, like, three films to watch together. Yes, for those of you out there, Gods and Monsters, definitely take a watch. I will also say, to add in just a little humor, Young Frankenstein. Mm. One of my favorite movies, just Mm. because I But if you you watch Young, you gotta also watch Son, because there's some Son of Frankenstein jokes in there. Okay, so now we're having like a four-way to- four through. <laughs> you got to do a marathon. It's <laughs> <laughs> the only way to do it. Very nice. Okay, my number 10 um, is a pretty recent pick. I agree, Christian. For me, this was the hardest one to pick because there's like first five are pretty easy. Trying to figure out what the last one you're going to include. Super, super difficult. But I went with um, Robert Eggers' 2016 film, The Witch, um, which, you know... The Salem Witch Trials are obviously infamous and talked about all the time. I really liked how this one was not so much on the wider scale side of things, but more so focusing on a single family and how they're dealing with that and how it comes in conflict with their religious beliefs and whatnot. Um, released in 2016, um, Robert Eggers, you know, he's got his new film, The Lighthouse, that just came out, which is one of my most anticipated of the year. This one introduced me to Anya Taylor-Joy also, who is great. Um, I think most people came to know her from this. And a really great performance from Kate Dickey as well. Um, but I really loved, I think what I love most about this film is how they formed the dialogue to reflect that era. How it's so atmospheric. I don't think there's a single jump scare, but the score really builds attention. You don't really know what's going on. And then the ending black philip enough said um so delicious oh my gosh it just sends it sends chills it's like 
<laughs> part psychological horror, part mystery. For me, this was like what I saw and like really just affirmed my belief of like this real renaissance of like artsy horror films like this, you know, the Ari Aster films, Hereditary, Midsummer, that all kind of fit in that vein. So I love it. The Witch, check it out. Okay. Does anybody have any thoughts on The Witch? Because if not, I have a story. (laughs) Oh, I'm talking about it later. Okay. Well, I will say a little story. I was like, I'm curious. So I went and looked at like an old status from when I actually saw this, The Witch. And I just want to read it because it's funny. March 1st, 2016, when I first saw it in theaters. Have y'all heard of The Witch? Christian here used his 13 years of Catholic education to pray during the movie through his small panic attack. (laughs) So go see it because it's a treat. (laughs) It's a treat. (laughs) It really is. But no, and the other thing I can remember from seeing it in a theater is it gets so quiet at times and I like could not eat my popcorn because I didn't want to else yeah what's that like to live deliciously munch 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 <laughs> sure fucking do i'm hungry <laughs> <laughs> all right zay number nine okay so my number nine is an even more recent film um i chose 2016's raw Ooh. directed by Julia Du Carnell. I don't know French. <laughs> um, so I actually rewatched it this morning because I put it on my list, but I was like, am I positive I want this on my list? And after I watched it, I was like, yes, so fucking much. Um, so it's a French horror film. This girl who's been a vegetarian her whole life goes to vet school, the wildest fucking school on the planet. I, it's this mass chaos. It's like if the purge turned into a college. Um, and they during one of the um, the things that fraternity or, like the, orientation initiation initiation it was some initiation. Yes, they make her eat raw rabbit, I believe, and that's her first time ever eating meat. And that's when she starts to get a hunger for flesh, more and more flesh, to the point she starts to consume other humans it's the monstrous femme is one of my favorite um horror movie subgenres with stuff like uh jennifer's body and ginger snaps that those sort of movies um and just throughout the film it just gets increasingly grosser and just the things that like the different faces she makes and the different uses of blood Uh, and being vegetarian for three or four years now it's just fun to see a movie about being vegetarian and how she just starts to eat meat and it just changes everything it doesn't and listen sometimes a pizza looks good <laughs> don't judge me y'all anyway um so yeah, to watch that movie though, it's like looking it through a, a vegetarian lens. Um, it just makes it even like cooler just to think like, oh, if I started eating meat again, I would just start killing everyone. <laughs> Which is a far metaphor, but that's what's great about horror is like they take their metaphors through the fucking roof. And that's why we're all is great. Nice. Boy, them crazy French. <laughs> 
I just remember hearing stories about people fainting while watching that movie in the <sighs> theater. So okay, that's a that happens about every time. <laughs> I can only think of one scene, maybe, maybe it's like the hair scene. Oof. Has Brett? Have you seen the Raw? Nope. Okay, we're grasping to. at straws here. <laughs> <laughs> this is this is what I'm excited for, though. I knew Zay was going to have some films that I haven't seen, so this is good. But my favorite thing is watching you on Letterbox, just like seeing things for the first time. Yes. And I'm like, wow, I would love to see that movie for the first time again. But I was like 12. <laughs> I am way behind. Caught up on a lot of classics this year, though. So, Okay, Christian, are you ready for your number nine? Yes. My number nine is a film which I think changed sort of the game at the Oscars in terms of like scary horror movies getting back into the swing of things. Also changed the nation insert like the oh beautiful for spacious guys it's get out it's jordan yeah, okay. 2017 masterpiece get out now this i mean you could think of it like a psychological like horror movie but no it's scary um if you haven't seen this you've lived under a rock for the past two years but african-american man goes to visit his girlfriend who is white goes to visit her family and Strange things occur for him and the other two black people that are also in the house because they're not, they're not as it seems and things are not always as it seems because white people are sometimes shady. Yes, and it is like Jordan Peele's really big metaphor on the state of America. And you can quote me on that, Jordan Peele, if you're listening. <laughs> but no, I think... He loves this podcast. <laughs> I think it's a damn masterpiece. I saw this mm-hmm. like packed audience during its screener. Everybody was screaming at the end. I was screaming at the end. In terms of like, I was like, kill her, kill her, kill her, girl. <laughs> um, but no, great, great movie. And I'm pretty sure mm-hmm. we all agree on that. Yes. Oh yeah, of course. Yes, very much so. I also saw an early screening and it was like one of the best horror movie audiences I've ever seen because they were a little rowdy, but it was like to like improve the film, not to distract away from it. Like other ones I've done been to. Yeah. That's awesome. Okay. My number nine, I'm going way back for this one, back to the silent era. Ooh. Uh, Ooh. Yeah. For FW Murnau's Nosferatu. Ooh. Yes. Yes. Nosferatu. I know. yes uh a lot of us probably first saw this character from spongebob i know uh but i really i watched this for the first time in a german cinema class and it's just very creepy i mean i think one of the most terrifying images i've seen in a film is um count orlock uh the vampire at the center of the movie standing in the doorway just kind of staring with the light coming from the background. There's a lot of influences here with German expressionism. It became, you know, very influential for, for film noir later on. You know, this is 1922. I mean, a film from 1922 that gives me the chills more than a lot of recent horror movies do is really something else. Um, and Count Orlock, the main character, is the primary reason for that. There's also a shot where he's like standing on the deck of a ship and he's like staring ahead. You can see his giant claws and it's just really scary. It's really good design of the character. Um, really great performance from Max Schreck 
in the Shrek, I think is how you it, in lead role. And yeah, super influential. A lot of people I know would probably prefer the 1970s version from Werner Herzog. Personally, I'm a bigger fan of the old silence, black and white version. It's just really the images are really something else in this movie. If you watch it super late at night, I guarantee you're going to have at least a few chills go down your back. So Nosferatu, my number nine. Something to go with that. If um, Shadow of the Vampire is a film with Gary Oldman playing Max Shrek. But Will- Willem Dafoe. Willem Dafoe. What did I say? Gary Oldman. Whatever. <laughs> I don't know how I did that. Um, Willem Dafoe plays Max Shrek if Max Shrek was actually a vampire. And it's it's not the best movie, but the concept and the um, costumes and makeup alone is worth it. That's awesome. I mean, like, Max Shrek in and of himself. Just pretty creepy. The whole background story with him. Like, yeah. <laughs> That movie freaks me out. I don't know. It is I don't freaky. Know what to say. It's, it's, it's a good. Weird. It's Even, a good. I mean, like, it's amazing how it's introduced to children through that SpongeBob episode. <laughs> that's what really wanted me. Like, that's how I wanted to see it because, like, the nose for Ratu. <laughs> it doesn't seem as creepy when you watch it in the dark, and he's like coming up the steps with the shadow and the claws, and it's like, holy shit, that's outside my door. Yeah. <laughs> and then the pull back. Like the guy who made the witch is making a remake of it. Mm-hmm. Like, that's going to be something. Yeah, he's the perfect person to do that too because he really he understands atmosphere, and that's what really is important for a movie like that. So true. Okay, Zay, let's hear your number eight. My number eight is House or House Sue oh. from nineteen seventy seven, directed by Nobuhiko Obayashi. This movie is batshit crazy. (laughs) I can't give you a plot, really. It's just um, six or seven high school girls. It's their vacation. They're going to see this one girl's aunt in a mansion in the middle of nowhere. And she is not what they what appears to be. She's witchy, magical powers. Who the fuck knows? It's just fucking insane there is no um inhibition in this movie the whole he's just someone just had an idea and they were like okay put that in there okay put that in there um the graphics in this are crazy i don't think anyone could ever recreate this movie shot for shot there is just too much like like you can definitely see all the fingerprints on this film it's like not well made, but also the most perfectly made film of all time. It's hilarious. It's, I just can't, you have to watch it. I can't do this any justice. It's like something you have to see with your own eyes. It honestly is though. It's on the Criterion. That's how. Yeah, that's it's on the Criterion. That's the fun thing. There's like a cat involved yes, too, right? Cat. I love that cat. Yes. And the cat is the thing on the poster. Yeah. Also, I like the because from what I remember, this I really like the colors in it. Yes, the colors are great. They bring colors a lot of it. You know, what a fun movie, Brett. Have you seen it? No, I'm zero for three. This day's movie. (laughs) (laughs) You better be writing all these down. Oh yeah, no, I'm keeping note. (laughs) Like honestly, 
it's you won't believe it till you see it. True. It's very nice. I like that. Okay, Christian, you're number eight. All right, my number eight is 1979's Alien. Mm. Ooh, everybody. Ooh, yeah. Okay, so I think that this one is the better of the Alien series, and everybody who loves aliens more can come at me. I don't care. <laughs> um, but this feels more to me like a horror movie than anything, rather than sci-fi, because you have like the elements of something's lurking out there in the dark. Mm-hmm. You see it very briefly with the chest burster scene, which everybody knows. Everybody's like recreated that in some way or another. And then the alien is out there growing. We never see it growing. And the little shots we do get of it are like very brief instances. And that as like a kid growing up, because I think I saw this at a pretty younger age, freaked me out because I had to watch it in the dark because my dad watched it with me and he was like, turn the lights off. <laughs> and I talked, turn the lights off. But no, yeah, great movie, great performance from Sigourney Weaver. Um, the cast itself is incredible. That chest burster scene, though, is like, that's that's some iconic shit right there. Yeah. Just saw it for the first time recently, and I'm going to save my thoughts. Did you? Hey, no. I sold you that DVD, didn't I? You did. Yes. (laughs) Okay. I would like to. That that film is like the pinnacle of my favorite of like retro futurism. Mm. Like they try to make it look futuristic, but then it just kind of looks like you would never see that now. But at the same time, the movie has never felt dated. Like, you're just like, yep, I believe that. That's what it looks like. And it's just so good. Nice. Meticulous. Perfect. And I will yeah. say that, like, the entire Alien series, even though there's, like, a few duds in it, it's pretty interesting just to watch in general. Because you sure. go from, like, independent-style Alien to cinematic blockbuster Aliens. <laughs> you got the other two bastard children after that. And then you go, like, Prometheus and then Alien Covenant. And they're both like, wow, this is actually fucking great. Nice. Two bastard children. <laughs> I've heard a lot of arguments for Alien 3, and I'm, I want to rewatch it sometime. The best part about Alien 3 is when they try to get a Greyhound in an alien suit. Just go Google that. It's perfect. <laughs> David Fincher. <laughs> Very nice. Okay, my number eight, also kind of combining horror and sci-fi a little bit. Another one I just watched for the first time this year, but I I knew I had to include it. It's a fucking blast. And that is John Carpenter's The Thing. Yeah, taking place um, in a... (laughs) Taking place kind of in this location with all these guys who are um, working... um, Where are they working super cold is it antarctica okay i I couldn't remember if it was there or the other pole um (laughs) no um but you got this shape-shifting alien that is kind of haunting all of them and you know stocking them all off the big catch though is that it can take the form of its victims and so we know that at least one of these men is the thing but we don't know which one And I really thought the film was really clever in how it kind of revealed that. Like, it's actually kind of smart the way they kind of try to figure out who is the thing and what they're going to do about it. And the visual effects, I mean, the practical effects in this thing are just simply amazing. 
um, especially for a film that came out in 1982. It, it is, it's, it's gross in the best of ways, the different forms that the thing takes. There's a scene that I think is basically iconic, which is kind of another chest, not chest bursting, but chest collapsing scene. Um, if you haven't seen it, at least look that up because it just, it's like, wow. Yeah. Um, it, it never stops. Like it starts, it gets going. We figure out what, what's kind of going on and then it's just a big ride until the end. Um, don't have really many complaints about it because it's just a lot of fun. Kurt Russell is awesome in the lead role. It's got our old friend, Wilford Brimley, of course, that's always great. Um, and yeah, I really enjoyed it. Was glad I finally got around to watching it. John Carpenter is obviously a genius of the horror genre, and this was a huge success for him. Except so, not at the box office. Yeah, there you go. But great movie. Um, it was also Razzie nominated. That's, that's right. So I didn't know that until like right after I watched. It, I looked up what all it you know was nominated for and not nominated for. And yeah, Razzie nominee for worst musical score. Which I love that score. I don't know what they're talking there's about. Like, there's like a board game now of it. And it's like, you try and figure out who is the thing. <laughs> also, I must say that this is much, much better than the thing from another world, which is like the remake of it. True. Like that's just like a guy in a space alien suit. This is like a fucking entity. And then they did like a prequel in 2011. Yeah. And then the actual sequel slash remake masterpiece, which Zay turned me on to, Pingu's The Thing. Oh. <laughs> which I tried to get Brett to watch it. I'm not sure if you did. I did not. You have to. It's so good. It's so good. <laughs> I'll have to do that. Very nice. Okay. Zay, you're number seven. My number seven is a cult classic, Suspiria from 1977, directed by Dario Argento. Um, I've seen this movie like three or four times at this point. Um, and you know what? It's still very convoluted. None of it makes fucking sense. <laughs> this girl, it's an Italian film. Most people see it with the English dub. Um, because that's the trend for Italian horror films in that 70s and 80s sort of thing. Um, and basically this girl ends up at a dance school and the dance school is actually full of witches. That's basically the plot. Um, it's just a gorgeous fucking movie though. The, the use of the colors, you just like, I want to be murdered here. If I have to be murdered, it's going to be here with all these lights, the reds, the blues, there's fucking a, there's a room that's just filled with piano wire for some reason. A girl dies in a room full of piano wire. It's amazing. And it's just like, but even though through all of the craziness and all of the absurdities, it's still scary. It still has like the intense like moments of like, is she going to get the fuck away from these people or not? It's just so good. And I just... It's another movie where I can't do it justice by talking about it because you have to look at it to be convinced that it's amazing. What do you think of the remake? I like the remake. The remake is a totally different creature, though. Like, it took the basic premise of the original and just recontextualized it to be something completely different. 
but I liked it. I really liked Tilda Swinton in that yeah. movie. Sorry, sorry, gay film Twitter, but that movie is highly overrated. <laughs> That's also valid. Just saying. I don't remember Suspiria like at all, but Turner Classic Movie showed it like two weeks ago. So it's on my DVR and it's on my list. Um, I've seen the opening scene. Uh, I think it's the opening scene with like the murder and the glass falls on the girl and it's like super yes, violent. That's it. Yeah, uh, so that's all I've seen from the movie, but it that alone was just like, oh my god, this looks wild. But have seen the remake, so I know it's kind of an injustice, but I will. How have you seen the remake, but not the original? You know, it was like one of those things where Christian, I'm pretty sure you let me borrow this. Yeah, yeah, I'm pretty sure I let you borrow the DVD. Yeah, so fair enough. But I'm I'm pretty sure my first introduction was the spirit. It was like I had the DVD from the library. I put it in, and like her lips didn't match the words. And so I was like, I'll return this. I'll never see this movie in Italian. And then I text Zay and you're like, yeah, it's supposed to be like that. And I'm like, fuck. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I saw, I saw the dub version in theaters and it's really fucks you up the whole time. Cause you, that I hate that, but that's also part of the, the cultness of it. Cause not too many people watch Italian horror films, but they'll see Suspiria because everyone's talked about Suspiria. They also and play it here a lot in Kansas City at one of our independent theaters with like an actual score. People like the actual musicians doing the score. Yeah, the score. I didn't even mention the score. The score by the band Goblin is one of my favorites of all time. I will just turn that on while I'm at work and just and they just whisper, which, which, which. It's so good. And customers are like, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> yes i play it over the pa very nice all right christian you're number seven <clears throat> so growing up catholic i naturally chose the exorcist directed by william friedkin this story is like semi true so says like the book because i read the book too but it's about a little girl who becomes possessed by a devil demon figure figure out the name because i already forgot it's been so long since i've seen it but anyway i like it um very very family oriented because it's a single mother and her daughter it's a it's people have described it as very slow moving i will put that into out there it is but it all builds up to like the actual scary stuff like she plays the ouija board shit starts happening and that's like an hour of the movie 30 minutes where she's finally like possessed on the bed you get the whole like mother please it burns and then like the rest of the movie is the actual exorcism part which is like some of the best scenes in horror movie history um great performances from i believe his name is jason miller as the priest ellen burston as the mother a very young uh linda blair as a young daughter with Mercedes McCambridge, who very famous actress does the voice of the possessed little girl. And of course the exorcist himself, Mr. Max von Sydow. <laughs> so the power of Christ compels y'all. Please tell me <laughs> one of you has seen it. Oh, yeah. of course I've seen okay. it. What? <laughs> no. I've also My heard favorite the book, and the oh, book is go ahead, very bro. good, and it is very. William Peter Blady wrote the book, and he wrote the screenplay. He did a very good job adapting his own book. Yeah, I think like 
it's it, it it still holds up it's still really scary though i wish like that's one of my wishes in life that i could go back to when that first premiered just to experiment experience the like pandemonium behind people freaking out about this movie and like running out of the theater and just being completely terrified it came out on christmas day 1973 <laughs> like happy Perfect. birthday jesus yeah i kind I of had that what you're saying oh no i was just saying my dad he tells me like every time we try and watch this that his church told him not to go see it <laughs> like yeah we went anyway <laughs> I think that happened to everyone because that movie, like adjusted for inflation, almost made a billion dollars. So, um, but I had a, when I showed it to my friend once. We were it was like fall break, and I, I was I stayed on campus, and so did he. And we were watching the movie together, and just in the middle of it, during one of the, like more intense moments, I just go up behind him, and he just. I scare him. He just screeches because he was just so deeply terrified by this movie. So like, I feel like if you like lend yourself to the movie, it can still have like a really powerful reach on you. Oh yeah. Even with the book, when I read the book, I read out loud to my parents, the whole, like the power of Christ will compel you scene. And my mom was like, you better stop that. Something's going to happen to you. (laughs) Not going to lie. I love the scene. And this is the end where they parody that. And they're oh, like, yeah. you think just saying that over and over is going to do anything? <laughs> <laughs> also, the fact that like this is like an Oscar-themed podcast when we're not doing bonus episodes. This was so close to winning like Best Picture. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I mean, f- fuck the sting. But <laughs> when we get to the seventy-three, the when we get to the seventy-three episode one day, <laughs> we will discuss <laughs> why this should have probably been like you know. Yeah. That's why I had controversy with uh, Linda Blair being nominated because she didn't do the voice, but the voice was not credited. Mm. So they're like, wait a minute. (laughs) Hold on here. Very nice. Okay. My number seven, we have our first repeat here. I have alien 1979 from Ridley Scott. Another one I just recently checked out. I have to say it was basically everything i expected it to be which was a good thing um because i had pretty high expectations going in um chest bursting scene is one i've seen on like numerous youtube countdowns and things like that watch mojo and whatnot but even then like to get it in the context of the movie and know how that comes about is a really different and really thrilling experience um but yeah, I agree. Kind of a like slow build and then kind of goes all haywire in the end with Sigourney Weaver. It's just kind of like edge on your seat. Like, you know, there's sequels, but still like, is she going to make it? Oh, my God. Is she going to make it? And um, the alien itself, really terrifying, often because of how little we see it. And the production design is absolutely phenomenal. I mean... It's your typical futuristic spaceship type thing, but just the little details all look really great, look amazing. Even the external shots of the different, you know, planets they're flying by and whatnot, it looks like it's out of 2001, basically. And so really great work from Ridley Scott. Um, Definitely probably the best film I've seen from him. I can't think of anything else that's really up there for me. Um, All the money in the world. Uh, Oh, true, true. A masterpiece. 
But yeah, I really loved Alien. Love Sigourney Weaver in it. Love the Alien itself. Awesome movie. The Alien tips his hat. <laughs> Just like in Spaceballs. Oh my god. Hello, my baby. Hello, my honey. Hello, my. <laughs> I love that scene. Um, y'all out there listening? Because as Zay noted from our last podcast, I say y'all watching a lot, but how can you watch? The viewers, viewers, faithful <laughs> <laughs> listeners. If you look hard enough on YouTube, you will find like a high school redid the entirety of Alien, mm, with like yeah. the suits and the soundtrack and all. And they had like they built an alien, and then Sigourney Weaver got involved in seeing it. And I've seen some of it, and it's amazing what they did with it. Yeah, I remember you showing me that. Like that's powerful. Definitely. Okay, Zay, you're number six. My number six is Gremlins Two. Oh my God. 1990, directed by Joe Dante. I I okay, in my opener when talking about horror films, I did neglect to mention the Gremlins movies because I did watch them when I was a kid because my parents were like, these aren't very scary. We can give them to you. And we love them when we watch them as kids, whatever. And so the Gremlins and me go way back. I don't know how many times I've seen these movies. And if you would ask me when I was like 10 years old, which one's your favorite? I would have said Gremlins. However, now I appreciate how fucking genius Gremlins 2 is because um they were just like going to Joe Dante, like after the opening weekend, they were like, you got to make a sequel. And he was like, uh, let's get some ideas out there first. So it took him like six years to finally put out Gremlins 2. Um, and basically it just undoes everything in the first film and it parodies it. It um, makes fun of it. It's just so good. Like one of my favorite scenes is like when Billy, the protagonist is trying to explain the rules behind the gremlins is like, you can't feed it after midnight. And they're like, what if you cross the international dateline? Or like, what if he gets a piece of carrot stuck in his teeth? And it's just like, I'm like, you took six years of notes of like everyone just like talking about these films. And they're like, well, what else can we do? Well, let's just throw in Christopher Lee. Let's have every fucking kind of gremlin in this fucking movie and credit including drag queen icon greta fucking love her and the brainy one it's just glorious tom we can't forget the fact they also do a big rendition of new york they they do yes they do say new york new york at the end it's so good this is the type of movie i expected you to include so (laughs) I've seen the Brad, first have you one. seen you've seen the first one? First one, yeah, not the second. Or five for five for me. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of expected this too. Okay, but Gremlins 2 is like in Scream 2 when they're talking about like sequels and they're not the better of the like first one, second one, Gremlins 2 is the quote unquote Godfather 2 of the Gremlins movies. I'm there's only two so. movies, but still. Uh, that one of my favorite scenes is there's a di- there's a different cut between the theatrical and the VHS cut, um, where it looks like the movie is um, like the VHS is damaged or like this the film reel is damaged, and then just out of no fucking no you either get John Wayne or Hulk Hogan just being like fuck off Gremlins 
people were trying to watch this movie and it just breaks the fourth wall. And it was always one of my favorite jokes as a kid. And it also did make people go back to the video store and be like, this is broken. <laughs> they had to put up signs and be like, no, this is supposed to happen <laughs> when you rent Gremlins 2. That's awesome. Very nice. All right, Christian, what's your number six? All right, my number six is the John Carpenter's 1978 classic, Halloween. Ooh. Yes. Um, if you don't know the story... Michael Myers, not the one who voiced Shrek or played Austin Powers. <laughs> Although, I don't know. He comes back to his hometown after years of being like a mental institution. And he is out for, you know, blood. He, you know, he's just out for blood as we all are on Halloween night. Specifically on <laughs> Halloween night. Um, there's a girl involved in this, Laurie Strode, who was played by a unknown at the time, Jamie Lee Curtis. Sort of becomes one of the first screen queens and arguably the screen queen. You see her in the sequel. You see her in the newer sequel, direct sequel to this film. But I have here in my notes, because I wrote some, that this is my favorite of the late 70s, 80s slasher flicks. Sorry to Freddy. Sorry to Jason. Actually, no, sorry to Jason, because I hate Friday the 13th. Sue me. Um, yeah. But for me, this is the one that started it <laughs> all. Uh, great tension, great pacing. John Carpenter's score slaps, mm -hmm. I must say. Mm -hmm. And a tradition to me for me to watch on Halloween weekend or Halloween itself because you have to. Love it. Great pick. Oh, no discussing it. Ooh, I <laughs> I will be talking later. It's a sign. It's a... Okay. Uh, my number six is from 1980, Stanley Kubrick's The Shining. Uh, which is basically one of the real, just iconic, classic, all-time horror movies. Has arguably the greatest teaser trailer of all time, which is just blood just swarming the hallway from the elevator. Um, you start watching that teaser, then you watch the movie, then you watch the documentary Room 237 to just go over everything <laughs> you might have missed in the movie, because it's great. But that's what I love about it, is that there's so many ways to interpret it, Oftentimes, there's a discussion of like movies being faithful to their source material. Where I mean, I haven't read The Shining, but I've often heard that this is not all that faithful at times. Um, Stephen King off. hated, yeah, Stephen King hated the movie, and so I think it's a little controversial for that. But it, what can you say? It's undeniably great. The it's shot, the shot composition, and all the technical aspects are probably the best you're going to see not just in any horror film, but among some of the best ever. And really, it's so good. Like, Stu Stanley Kubrick's direction is so good in this. I think oftentimes people don't give enough credit to Jack Nicholson for how freaking great he is in this movie. I think it's one of his best performances. He's absolutely terrifying um, for those who haven't seen it. I mean, what are you doing? <laughs> but um, Jack Nicholson is this writer. Um, Jack Torrance, who moves you know he moves with his wife and his kid into the stanley hotel overlook. which is sorry yeah sorry the overlook hotel and um it's abandoned for the isolated for the winter and so it's just them he starts seeing people there and starts kind of losing his mind there's a great twist at the end really just really well constructed very artful horror film that never gets old 
the scene with the two girls is still frightening. The scene with the old woman is still very frightening. And once Jack finally just lets loose and completely loses it, it just goes haywire and it's amazing. It's just iconic. So The Shining, number six. Hello, I'm Shelley Duvall. <laughs> she also deserves a lot of credit. That poor woman got abused yes. by Kubrick on the set. And she Ooh. still gave her fucking all. Like, the way he treated her on set was monstrous. Wow, I didn't know that. Yeah. Look into that, y'all. Damn. Okay. Oh, Christian doesn't get a say in the shine. Oh, go for it. I thought you were waiting. Go ahead. This is a movie. Moving on. (laughs) (laughs) That gives you a hint. Okay, okay. Number five. Finally, a movie... I know Brad has watched because it was his number 10. (laughs) The Witch, 2015, Robert Eggers. This movie is so good. I constantly think about it. It's, we already discussed the plot, so I'm just going to go out of that. I'm just going to talk about how it makes me feel. When I first saw the movie, I came out anxious. I was Mm -hmm. so fucking anxious because first of all, that score that score is just evil. That's all I can pretend. Like when you hear it, once I hear that score, if it like comes on my Spotify, I'm just like, what's going on? Am I in danger? Because it's just so meticulous. And what the it's hell so... are your Spotify? You have this, you have Suspiria. <laughs> <laughs> I like spooky sometimes. Um, but um, yeah, it's just... Uh, just like then the like production um fuck production design sorry i'm just getting so excited about this movie i love it so much <laughs> yeah and then fucking black philip i love black philip he's like one of my favorite horror villains because he's just a goat <laughs> but then he just turns into like the final third of the movie and you're just like holy shit this goat is pure evil in yeah. one goat and it's just the sound design there's just so much care put into this movie to think that it's a debut feature film is just wow i can't wait to see the lighthouse the lighthouse i'm it has to be perfect or i'm going to be disappointed i think because the witch was such Ugh. i went in not knowing what to think of the witch because the trailers were kind of they were like jump scares in the trailers but then you watch the witch and you're like oh this is the slowest movie on earth but i love slow atmospheric horror because that's the only kind of horror that will actually scare me once i let it like set in Mm -hmm. so i agree even watching it on my tv i'll get anxious just watching it (laughs) i love that movie so much the witch nice i think zane needs a cigarette after that i think so (laughs) lord (laughs) (laughs) all right Christian, you're number five. Okay, my number five is, I'm pretty sure Zay has seen this, but it is The Descent. Yes. 2005, directed by Neil Marshall. And it tells the story of a group of women. One is just coming off a very traumatic experience where her child and her husband have both died in a car crash. And they go, I think the word is spelunking. If you, yeah. Yeah. I'm going to use the technical term spelunking, but it's cave diving pretty much. <laughs> And they go deeper into this cave and 
the cave is very dark as caves are, but dark as in there's something in the cave. Ooh, yes, there are creatures in the cave. If you don't know what this movie's about, and it's just the women trying to outrun them, outpace them, and fucking survive. There's a great scene where the creatures have like all the bodies that they've taken stored away, so there's a lot of blood. I think I saw this on like a scary movie countdown, because that's where I was introduced to this film. And there's a great moment where they're like looking around in the caves. All they have is their little flashlights on their helmet. And one of the girls is like, hello, is there any, they're British. Hello, is there anybody down there? And immediately they turn around and there's like a fucking creature taking one of them. And it's like, holy shit. I hope I'm not spoiling this for Brett. Cause I don't know if you've seen this. Nope. Okay. Well, too bad. But <laughs> there's creatures. They're evil. If you watch this in the dark, you will get the best experience because you will feel like you're in that mm-hmm. cave. You feel so claustrophobic. If you watch this a second time, notice things in the background. That's all I have to say, y'all. Notice things in the background. Wow. Good to know. People do screenings of this film in like actual caves. I could never. Yo. Whoa. There's mammoth caves in Kentucky, and I love to go there. But ever since watching that movie, I just think about that, and I'm like, I'm trying to have a fun time, but we're gonna look everywhere. <laughs> Whenever someone's like, "What's a good horror movie that I haven't seen?" Like that's legit scary. I always tell them to watch Descent, The Descent first because it's not the most popular, but I've never heard anyone just like be disappointed by it. Like the last time I watched it was with my aunt, and she was so interested. We watched the second one. Which the second one answers some questions. And it's not as good, but it's still like pretty interesting. But yeah, ten ten would never want to go cave diving in my life now. <laughs> All right. How have you never seen the descent, Brett? Come on. I don't know. You know, I. It's one of those that just slipped through. All right. My number five is probably my favorite haunted house movie. And that is from 2013, James Wan's The Conjuring. Yes. So 2013 was like, for me, a just tremendous year for film. And The Conjuring is one that is so underrated from that year. Just superbly made. Honestly, if I'm being completely honest, I think the scariest movie I've ever seen, the one that still sticks with me. I know there are things that make people laugh in it. That one, I'm like, uh, okay, laugh if you want to, but I'm going to enjoy this and it's going to terrify me. Um, but follows Ed and Lorraine Warren, played by um, Fiera Farmiga and Patrick Wilson. And this family comes to them about their farmhouse that they've just moved into. And <laughs> it takes place in the 70s. And it's haunted by these evil entities, this um, demon named Bathsheba who is terrifying. And, you know, there are obviously some jump scares here, but I think it it balances well enough with the haunted house buildup and the atmosphere that it's still really effective. It manufactures both. And God damn it. I really care about these characters like a lot. And like, and Lorraine Warren pretty much frauds in real life, but you can't help but love them in this movie. They're really easy to care about. The family's really easy to care about. Like, I do not want them to be hurt. I want them to get through this and whatnot. And it's a whole terrifying venture that builds into this completely crazy climax. 
But one of the things I really like about this film is that it doesn't feel completely out of the realm of possibility, um, just the way it's constructed, which is something that has not been upheld through the rest of the Conjuring universe, which just pales completely in comparison to the original. So either way, I'm still excited for the Conjuring 3, and I fucking love the Conjuring. Don't I'll admit it. So when I first saw The Conjuring, me and my friend, it was just us and like a couple other people in the theater, but we didn't care. We were just screaming because we we also were just terrified. Um, like it, it, that made me believe like, no, if I want to watch a horror movie in the theater, that's the best place to get scared because The Conjuring was just terrifying to us. And it was such a good thrill ride. Um, also, Vera Farmiga is my mother. I'm convinced she's just so beautiful. Well, now we have, to really we have to go through a debate. Is it Farmiga or Farmiga? Uh, I have never heard Farmiga until Brett know. said it. I don't know. I don't know. It's Farmiga. <laughs> I just see the names. I don't hear them pronounced. So, there you go. <laughs> um, I only remember that when we, when my dad and I bought tickets to this, he's like, two for the conjuring, please. Conjuring? <laughs> and then after it, it's like, we went home and we watched... I think we watched the Amityville Horror and then the Exorcist because they're like mm. you know, kind of the same. Uh, yeah. yeah, like it said, great movie about like haunted houses plus family equals supernatural. Um, the second Conjuring is good. I think the first mm-hmm. one is better of the two. Oh yeah. I mean, we don't talk about Annabelle and we don't talk about La Llorona. I would like to make the argument that Annabelle creation is not half bad. And Annabelle Comes Home, I legitimately liked. And I think it uses a lot of the heart that the Conjuring movies have. And they put it into that one finally. Annabelle Comes Home, the really nice thing I like about it. No spoilers. I'm just going to, yeah, I'm just going to say the way they do. Never mind. Never mind. It's good. It's really good. I have it in the library. Okay. I need to get to it. Yeah. Check it out. I cried. (laughs) I legit cried at the end. I can see it. I can see it. (laughs) I can only see this now as like Annabelle comes home, much like Celie and Nettie being reunited in the color purple. Ooh. <laughs> like, Annabelle! <laughs> the title really doesn't make sense, but. Yeah, it's no, fine. not at all. Okay. Zay, let's hear your number four. Okay. Number four. I picked Rosemary's Baby, yeah. 1968, directed by... <laughs> anyway, um, I just rewatched this uh, a week ago or so. It's just, despite who made it, it's just so perfectly crafted because the majority of it is just a drama about this woman and her husband who's hiding something from her. And... But once the, like the Satanism kicks in, oh boy, it's just so much fun, and you're just like, holy shit, this husband's a piece of shit, and that, and it's also like the reverse nativity story <laughs> about a woman who gets immaculately impregnated, and she never really asked for it, and now suddenly she has, she's going to give birth to the next coming, but instead of the Messiah, it's the Antichrist. And it's just, uh, Mia Farrow in it is everything. I just, 
this is another movie. I'm just, I need a cigarette after this. Oh my God. <laughs> and Ruth Gordon in this. I thank you. I was getting there. I love Ruth Gordon so much because Harold and Maude is my favorite movie, but she's also perfect in this. She won the Best Supporting Actress Oscar, very much deserved. And her outfits in it and like her dialogue, mm, so good. She's like, come on here, drink, eat the chocolate mousse. Come on, it'll be good. <laughs> she says mouse, chocolate mouse. Like, okay, so I watched this also a few weeks ago. And this is another example of if you watch it a second, third, fourth, whatever time, look for the background details. Because, <laughs> like, I was reading IMDb. I mean, pause for, like, a second if you don't want to hear these spoilers. But whenever Rosemary's husband leaves the house, you hear a slight doorbell ringing, supposedly. And that's him going into, like, Ruth Gordon and her husband's house mm-hmm. instead of, like, leaving the actual apartment. Apartments. What? their apartments yeah it's i mean it's good stuff yeah directed by the late (laughs) yeah mia farrow really oh my god she should have been oscar nominated for that she's amazing she got divorced she just (laughs) made her get divorced like that's committed yeah really great let's Let's say hey girl you in this She, um, uh, I listened to the audiobook for this, and she does the, the, it was like, the released like a few years ago, and she reads the book, Ooh. and it's so good. The book is just as good as the movie, and you need to read it or listen to it like I did. Nice. It's a very nightmarish movie. Very skin crawling. Mm-hmm. All right, Christian, you're number four. Okay, my number four. As mentioned in my introduction, I walked in on some of my family members watching this movie and walked in at a peak moment when it was like extra super scary for a young, I don't know, six-year-old me. It is Alejandro Amanabar. Oh, God. Oh, God. I'm Hispanic. I should say that right. (laughs) Alejandro Amnabar's The Others. From 2001. This is my... I think in my list, although I might have some, I don't know, My Haunted House base story. Nicole Kidman is a mother with her two children. It's Spanish Civil War era, so like almost World War One-ish. They're really isolated in this old mansion. Um, I would say on the moors because it's foggy all the fucking time. Her kids are very special in that they are allergic to the sun. So she hires some new housekeepers and the one rule is you don't put, you don't like open the curtains while the children are in the room because they'll fucking die. Stuff starts happening. The little kids see people that Nicole doesn't see. The great scene that I walked in on my family that I keep referencing is the whole like, you're not my daughter. That scene Mm. still scares the shit out of me. I think Nicole Kidman should have won an Oscar for this and not what she mm. did win or be nominated for. She was nominated for Moulin Rouge the same year this came out. She should have been nominated for and won for this. The twist ending, which I won't spoil because any everybody should watch this film, mm-hmm. is fucking out of this world. Yeah. And this is a film, too, that I introduced my friends to because I remember, shout out to my friend Maddie who listens to this. Maddie and another friend, Allie, used to come over Friday nights in high school and we watched scary movies, and this is when I introduced them to, and there were some screams. So, yeah. Great stuff. Yeah. 
Agree. That's among the best I've seen. Nicole Kidman. She's just amazing in that movie. Yeah, I, there's a new there's a perspective to this film that just feels really new. And it's just it's just so well crafted and twisty. And it's one of those movies that just makes you go, what the fuck? By the time you reach the end. And I love it. So good pick. I agree. I haven't seen it in a few years, but I do love that movie a lot. I need to rewatch it. Yeah. Okay, my number four, another one that has been mentioned, I will admit, but undeniable, and that is from 2017, Jordan Peele's Get Out. When we're talking about, you know, the best of the decade, you know, even like one of the best horror films, even if it's not one of your favorites, I don't think a list is complete without Get Out. I mean, I think this movie is basically genius. I think Jordan Peele, like, thank God he won that Oscar for writing this because the writing is some of the best in years. His direction, his direction is so underrated. Um, I think if you go, like Christian, you were talking about this, I think one time after you watched it, go look up the trivia on IMDb for this movie. You know, look at some of the hidden meanings. You will understand what Jordan Peele is about here. I mean, even further than what you kind of figure out from the movie. In addition to that, Daniel Kaluuya would have gotten my vote for best actor that year, honestly. Oh, sure fucking way. Um, and like he's he's incredible here. The scene in the chair, both chairs that he ends up with in throughout the film without spoiling anything. When I saw it in the theaters, it was just a constant what the what the what the and then the end finally arrived. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> and so it's also one that I think honestly just gets better every time I watch it. When the year 2017 ended, I think it was my number four or five film of the year. Now, looking back, it's undeniable. It's my number one. And it's that's pretty clear now. And so Jordan Peele had another great movie this year with us that people need to see. Lupita Nyong'o is amazing. Um, but yeah, Get Out. Incredible, incredible movie with a lot to say. 2017 had like three or four perfect movies for me and get out was one of them i only didn't include it on my top 10 list because i knew y'all would put it and <laughs> i was like i'm gonna talk about other movies because it's so hard to just pick 10 anyway so i knew y'all would mention it so i could just put in there is that cheating i don't know no. i did it anyway even my mom likes get out okay i caught her she didn't like doing movies. i caught her one time watching it <laughs> good and then my dad is like i should show this to my students and i'm like it's rated r well that i i have seen it like i've seen it four or five times because i've shown it to people because i'm like oh my god you got to see this movie i showed it to my brother i showed it to one of my friends i showed it to Haley last year it's like one of those movies i'm like you people need to watch this and so all right zay entering the top three what's your number three Top three is a film we mentioned before. It is John Carpenter's Halloween from 1978. I don't know what I can say about this movie. It's just, it's something, I don't like to rewatch movies a lot. If I rewatch a movie, it'll be like a year or two in between. Halloween, however, last year I watched it three times. Uh, it's a movie I can just put on at any time and I'm like, I'm satisfied watching this. I can rewatch it and rewatch it and rewatch it. I know beat for beat. I'm I have a terrible memory of these sort of things. I could tell you the whole plot to Halloween right now. 
but we're trying to shorten keep the podcast a little short. Um, I just, it's so good. It's just like a low budget indie film, and you can see all the different things that are wrong with it, and that's what I really like. I hate movies. Well, I don't hate movies, but I don't like movies that seem perfect. I like to see a movie and be like, oh, that there's those palm trees in the middle of Illinois. <laughs> and the tension is so good in it. Like, so many slashers that came after it were all trying to copy Halloween, and so few of them keep the tension that Halloween was able to create. Mm-hmm. Like, just to, and like the like low gore factor, and like just the, the uh, establishing characters you care about, and like the humor in it. And you can just tell John Carpenter was like really caring about making this story about a babysitter killer. And I think when we talk about horror films, Halloween doesn't get mentioned as like something that's like masterful and like high art, but I truly think it is. I think it's one of the best made horror films of all time. And I'm so happy whenever I get to watch it. And I do every single October. Have any of us ever seen it in a theater setting? I have. Yes. Yeah. I have. Oh, good. We nice. All, all three of us. Nice. One of the, the only time my phone has ever gone off in a movie theater <laughs> was when watching Halloween. <laughs> and I was like, who the hell has their phone on right now? And I was like, oh no, it's me. What happened? Because <laughs> my brainer's never on, so I didn't know what was going on. Wow. So, oh, yeah. Great pick. I'll say my thoughts. Uh, <laughs> Ooh. Christian, you're number three. I got my popcorn out. Um, <laughs> I noticed that. Um, my number three pick is I I had a hard time thinking about this one because it's a movie that I consider for me a masterpiece, especially in the character department. And then I questioned, is this really a horror movie? And then, again, with one of our listeners, Anthony, kind of helped me put this into perspective of why it could be. So... I have 1991's directed by Jonathan Demme, the best picture winner of that year, The mm. Silence of, of the Lambs. Ooh, okay. Okay. Brett and I have had this conversation of, is this a horror movie or not? I think it is, because when you have a man who's eating people's faces, and then you have a man who's skinning his victims, okay, and at the center of all this is a cop who has her own personal background issues and who has to go through all of these obstacles to get where she wants. And the main obstacle is getting information from this cannibalistic killer. I mean, she's living a horror story right now. Okay. We're watching this horror story. Hannibal Lecter, Clarice Starling, Jodie Foster, Anthony Hopkins, some of the best characters in film. Their scenes together are so fucking hot. Like, I'm sorry, I whispered that. I don't know. It's so fucking hot, those scenes. The scene where <laughs> Hannibal's like killing the guards. Oh my god. Give me it's my turn to get a cigarette. Like, this is a great film. For me, it's a horror movie. Discuss. I agree. It's a horror film. I think when people like try to debate it, I'm like, a movie can be more than one genre. Mm-hmm. Like, it's it's a thriller and it's a horror movie. Like, I don't see what the problem is. Um, yeah, it used to be one of my favorite movies of all time, but rewatching it and some of the more transphobic things make it harder for me personally to watch. And I don't like those scenes 
and it sucks because it's such a good movie outside of those that I love that those those parts of the movie so much. But once it takes me there, I'm like kind of out of it. Yeah, I've never really thought of it as a horror movie, but it's not one of those things that I like want to like debate about i the way you put it and talking about the what the things clarice goes through is very convincing though and there was a scene the scene where he confronts the guards and all the shit he pulls there that was a scene that made me feel like i was watching a horror movie and so yeah and i think the horror genre is so i don't it's so flexible in that way that um i need to watch it again anyway i will be soon so yeah Good pick. I will also say if we ever do like a top 10 romantic movies. <laughs> it's going to be that and Fatal Attraction, isn't it? I mean, the scene where she's like, he's like, tell me how the lambs are screaming, Clarice. And she's like, oh, I just took the lamb and I run. I just ran as far as I can. That's like, whoo, baby. <laughs> That's my Jodie Foster impersonation. <laughs> Known lesbian. Jody, if you're listening. <laughs> she sits with Jordan Peele they listen to it together <laughs> okay my number three is another one that I think oftentimes maybe people's minds don't automatically go to horror but I think it is in its own way and that's from 1975 Steven Spielberg's Jaws it's kind of like a nature gone wild horror film and I, I think it's it's not so much scary, but it is kind of like frightening in that there's nothing scarier than Nature Gone Wild at some times. And so um, it's just a blast to watch. And, you know, I think it often gets this reputation since it is like one of the first big, huge blockbuster movie. I think sometimes it's given that connotation and not much else. But really, this film is saying a lot and it's a really well-made and well-directed movie and a really thrilling movie um the things it's saying about capitalism with this mayor who has to keep the beaches open and who gets reelected somehow i don't know um that's one of the great movie debates that will never end <laughs> but the shark is like fuck capitalism <laughs> uh but robert shaw has like a really great acting scene that wasn't recognized whatsoever and the whole cast is great you know roy scheider Richard Dreyfus. Um, I don't know. I I think it's it's one of those that it's not a typical horror film, you know, but it is kind of frightening in what this shark represents and the fear that it injects onto the society and especially onto Roy Scheider's character. And by the end, you know, spoiler alert, but it, it feels so triumphant in a way to overcome that horrific experience. And so Jaws, great movie. Steven Spielberg should have won Best Director. We've talked about it on the podcast before, but I love it. It almost feels like we're talking about Alien, but set in the water. Yes. It's like that fear of the unknown, because we never see, we hardly see the shark. We see him like twice. Exactly. Those point of view shots are like. It's definitely, it's a monster movie for sure. And has inspired one of my favorite subgenre movies of like creatures in the water. I will say also. The, oh, you first. Okay, back to the mayor thing. It just made me think of the Ghostbusters 2016, where you just like never compare me to the mayor from Jaws. <laughs> no, 
I would even say that the movie is much better than the book because I finally read the book. There's a lot of sex scenes in the book. <laughs> okay. Not involving Stark or anything. Spoiler alert for the book, but Roy Scheider's wife, the character, her, his wife cheats on him in the book, right? With Richard, Richard Dreyfus. Yeah. <laughs> and I read that book. I felt like I was reading some smut. And then there was like a shark. Does anyone fuck the shark? That's the only way I'm going to read it. You'll have to find out. It's somewhere on my shelf, actually, so maybe it will. Oh, you crazy kids and your sharks. (laughs) That's what would have made the movie perfect if Paul Lynn just... Oh, gosh. You're going to need a bigger boat. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. Oh, shit. All right. Zay, you're number two. Oh, boy. Here we Uh, go. My number two is a classic film, and I don't know how popular it is with everyone, but it's a movie I keep so dear to my heart, and it's 1962's Whatever Happened to Baby Jane, directed by Robert Aldrich. (sighs) I love this movie so much. About two ladies um it starts out with baby jane she's a child like vaudeville star and then we see them grow her and her sister blanche grow up and blanche becomes a great movie star and uh jane's also doing movies but everyone's like she stinks we she's an awful actress and then we go a little further and we see that there's an accident and it's a great like like opener to like the the credits on screen and then we see that they're elderly now. Blanche is in a wheelchair. Jane is taking care of her, more or less. And she's basically just torturing her. Like, because she's, in, she's just very, like, uh, bitter about Blanche's success. And how, like, the neighbor's like, oh, Blanche's movies are on the TV. Uh, we wanted to give her these flowers. And she's like, it's so mad that she has all this love and affection. And everyone's just pretty much forgotten about baby Jane. And it's Betty Davis playing Betty, uh, Baby Jane and Joan Crawford playing Blanche, which is very significant because the newspapers and the media would constantly pit them against each other, even though there was no real reason to do that because they didn't truly hate each other until, I mean, they were kind of bitchy toward each other, but they, they were pretty good on set together. But once the Oscar campaign started, that's when they were truly enemies. Um, Ryan Murphy did a series on this. It's, more or less like some of it's fabricated some of it's just it's decent for the drama of it i i enjoyed watching it but i didn't take any of it i took it all with a grain of salt especially that last episode that was wild um but it's just it's full of camp it's just over the top acting baby jane um betty davis is basically a drag queen in this movie it's definitely a favorite among drag queens because i've seen many a great performance um there's even a remake of the movie starring just drag queens i haven't seen it but i want to look find it um it's just good it's not the scariest movie but it's still a horror film the things that happen that baby um, that jane does to her sister it's so good Good job you're in a chair it's very quotable. It didn't need wind in. Uh, oh, we have <laughs> in the cellar. And 
it inspired one of my favorite subgenres of the horror genre of the psycho bitty of just elderly actresses once like in their high um like shelly mom shelly mom no shelly winters shelly winters (laughs) not shelly long um shelly winters uh debbie reynolds did one um betty davis and joan crawford did more it's just old actresses just losing their shit on screen it's such a good genre but this is the best one it's so good it's the queen of them all it's the queen of them all honestly a very rewatchable film too Mm-hmm. Like you could, I, this is not just like an October thing. This is an all year round movie, like Christmas time. Yeah, Arbor Day, sure, <laughs> Veterans Day. There you go. No, I'm it's not. also a very Hollywood movie. So right, that's also up your. I love this movie. My dad's friend let me borrow the DVD, and I only watched half of it. And I don't know why, but I was like intrigued with it. And so I went out and rented it from the library and watched it. And I was like, holy shit, this is great. And no, I like, I quote a lot from it to my mother. So. I feel like this is the part in the podcast, which we do seemingly every episode where we have to recognize Karina Longworth. You must remember this as a great series, Mm -hmm. uh, Six Degrees of Joan Crawford, where she talks a little bit about this movie and it's really good. So check that out too. The one series I still haven't heard yet from that. (laughs) It's really good. Mm-hmm. Hey, Karina. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Christian, you're number two. My number two is if I had to pick a film that is like the best directed film I have ever seen, boy, oh boy, would I pick this one. It is Alfred Hitchcock's 1960 masterpiece, Psycho. Psycho tells of Marion Crane, played by Janet Lee. We spoke of Jamie Lee Curtis a little bit ago. That's her daughter. Well, she's in this. She's on the run. She stole some money, and she finds herself at the Bates Motel, run by Norman Bates, played by Anthony Hopkins, who, along with like Anthony Hopkins as Hannibal Lecter, is one of the best acted movie villains, in my opinion. And spoiler alert: he kills her, and <laughs> it is from there, like the most tension building what the fuck is going to happen next from alfred hitchcock you would ever think about and this is alfred hitchcock's i would say independent film of his career because he's coming off north by northwest which was like a big blockbuster he had to scale it down he used his tv crew from his tv show to make this it's black and white it's very simple but it's so fucking brilliant. And I think, other than Hitchcock's direction, like I said, it's Anthony Perkins as Norman Bates who sells the shit out of this movie for me. Mm-hmm. Like, And I have in my notes, because I wrote little notes here, that this is a movie that my family loves. And in like 2014, I remember in my grandparents' house, there was like three TVs on at once watching this movie. <laughs> like, this is the one movie that can attract people in my household. Yeah, and I'll never forget throwback. I wanted to dress as Norman for Halloween once, but I couldn't find a wig. (laughs) (laughs) Have you seen Bates Motel, the TV series? Up until a certain season, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I I I finished it. It is well. I mean, it's obviously not as good, but it's an interesting addition to the 
I watched it for Vera Farmiga, and then last season she's not really in it as much, and then I'm like, okay, we're just struggling through now. Right. Last season's not that great. But great pick. I will say you ever seen the sequels? I've seen the sequels. They're very interesting. Especially the last <laughs> Nothing like it. The last one is like not what I was expecting. And it's like a TV movie. No, not at all. Also, the mm-hmm. shot for shot remake with Vince Vaughn and Norman Bates role is truly terrible. Like, all offense to Gus Van Sant for that monstrosity of a film. But <laughs> I hate you. I will also wow. say I saw Just this in fired. a class of Hitchcock one. What? <laughs> oh, did you say shot fired? Sorry, Gus Van Sant. Yeah, shot fired. Sorry. Anyway, <laughs> I saw this in a class once of like Hitchcock and like everybody but me are sometimes co-host KB was in this class also but we watched people as the famous shower scene happened and like people were actually shocked and that's the greatest thing watch this with somebody who's never seen it before and just watch their expressions on their face yeah great pick mm-hmm Okay, my number two is one that has been mentioned twice. The classic, again, like you said, just an annual film to watch this time of year from 1978, John Carpenter's Halloween. Uh, When I first started this list, okay, I knew this was in my top five. I'm like, okay, it's got to be top three. I really struggled with with where to place it in between those top three places. Uh, but I've been recently listening to this podcast from film critic Amy Nicholson called Halloween Unmasked that she did last year. Such a good one. It's so good. I mean, with John Carpenter and his friends making this super low-budget movie and have the audacity to call it Halloween, it better be good and it better be scary, and they delivered on both. I mean, from the first scene with the long, continuous take of little Michael killing his sister all the way through just the intensity like you both mentioned it's something that you know i recently watched halloween 2 that you know that wasn't really up kept it kind of started fitting into more of the slasher genre but so influential of the slasher films i've seen it's it's probably my favorite debatable i'll, I'll get to that but yeah i i'm thinking about more this year especially last year with the new sequel coming out which is also so good highly recommend um i think what's really great about halloween is that you know michael myers is this monster he's meant to represent pure evil and he's not like supernatural at least in the first film he's not some big you know gross looking monster he is just a man with a casual name like michael myers and he's coming into your home to kill you for no reason at all, at least that we know of. Um, so just that idea of it, it still really holds up. It's still really scary. My theater experience with this was not that great because people were laughing constantly. And I think I remember that. To me that. Yeah, it, it was just like, I get the movie. The horror is not like what we see today. But come on, like, you don't just go into this movie and laugh at it all the time. It really pissed me off. And so... But it's honestly a really great one to sit down, watch with the lights off. Michael Myers is just terrifying. He just evil. He doesn't speak at all. And that's such a good tool that they use. I freaking love it. Halloween, it's it holds up so well. Really well-crafted film, made a shitload of money on a shoestring budget, and thank goodness for that because it was so influential. That's my number two. Also, 
Also, Brett and I are coming to you out of Kansas, and Halloween premiered here in Kansas City. So, yes. we take more than that. Yeah. And that, that John Carpenter score, it's on my Spotify. Uh, it just, like, goes through my head at, throughout the whole month of October. And so, it's so iconic. But... Okay. It also plays when you murder people. <laughs> This just in. This is now uh, a serial podcast. We are exposing Brett Doe's for being the Kansas murderer. <laughs> what? Uh, okay. <laughs> Haley, girl, run. <laughs> okay, we have arrived at our number one. It is time. Zay. I already know what Zay's is. I know what it is. Okay, all right, all right. All right. For my number one, I debated. I was like, is this horror? Am I going strictly horror with this? And I was like, fuck it. It's horror enough. And it has horror in the title. We are with the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Oh, I was wrong. What did you think it was? Hereditary. No. I thought it was going to be Friday the 13th, honestly. What? Wow, we don't know you. Don't you, like, (laughs) love that movie? I... I enjoy it. Oh, okay. Never mind. <laughs> um, so the Rocky Horror Picture Show, it's, I don't know what I could say about this movie. It's just, you guys talked about it on the podcast when you did 1975, for briefly anyway. Um, and it's just, it was very much a queer upbringing for me because my friends told me to watch it and they were like, it's so crazy. It's just so funny. And I'm like, all right. So I like put it on my parents' DVR. And my dad was telling my mom, he was like, you, do you know what your son put on the DVR this time? And I don't know that. It was sort of like, it felt rebellious after that. Like, oh, I shouldn't be watching this. And it's just so queer. It's just basically straight people drool, queer people rule. <laughs> it's just flashy it's colorful the colors are so rich and gaudy and the performances tim curry gives one of the best performances tim who tim curry he's in curry yes tim curry (laughs) (laughs) um tim curry one of the best performances dr frankenfurter just and it's so weird that this movie is so iconic but the like Tim Curry and Susan Sarandon and everyone else that got famous after the movie are just like, I don't want to talk about it. But it's just like, how could you not just be celebratory of this classic? I read that Susan doesn't talk about it because she don't get paid for the movie. (laughs) (laughs) Well, girl, that's your fault for not having a better agent at the time. (laughs) So, yeah, it's just... It's perfectly fun. It takes B-movies of the time and basically just becomes one, but purposely. And also endlessly just quotable. I used to see it every year with the shadow cast at my college. I need to find another one that's good. I haven't found like a really good one near me, but I need to find one. It's. I think it's everybody a- in their life should see it with a shadow cast. True. The shadow cast just adds shadow to it. Cast. And with, like, people screaming at the screen. Oh, my God. And people are so good at it that they've seen it enough times that they memorize the callbacks. Right. I only know, like, some of them. I literally watched this last week, 
And I sat in my living room, like, I'm gonna do the callbacks. I got through the opening song and through a couple of like Janet Brad situations, and I was like, mm-hmm. oh, there's so many of these, I can't do this. <laughs> but no, yeah. very fun movie. Um, for me, it was very overhyped in high school because everybody that I knew and was like super good friends with loved it, saw before me, and then I watched it. I'm like, it's okay. Over time, if I like didn't watch it, memorized the songs, then came back years later and watched it again, I'm like, this is good. I enjoy <laughs> it. I enjoy the shit out of this. Yeah. And I mean... I think we talked about this in the 1975 episode, like longest continuously running film in cinemas. I mean, it's still being shown all the time. So obviously mm-hmm. it's, it's a classic. Um, it definitely it's has a Disney movie. movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Wait, Brett, have you not seen Rocky Horror? Wait, what? Have you not seen this movie? We talked about it in the 1975 episode. You know how long ago that was? <laughs> <laughs> Yes, I've seen it. Jodie Foster and Jordan Peele were not listening then. You have to let them in. <laughs> oh my god. I don't remember the things you've seen. <laughs> Fair. That was like almost a year ago. Wow. Okay, Christian, you're number one. Red rum, red rum. Oh, okay. Okay. Yes, my number one is the Emoji Movie. <laughs> that is a horror is terrifying. no terrifying. my number one is the shining and when i put the preliminary list of these i had like 15 or so but the shining always came in number one and i sort of asked myself why that is but it's a film that i love to introduce to my friends again like i spoke about with the others my friends maddie and Allie, we watched it at my house I introduced them to it really got to the heart of it brett you mentioned when you spoke of it the documentary watch that learn the shit about it like all little tiniest details that kubrick put in it i am not i'm not like a kubrick fanboy but this is like the best film he made next to 2001 they're pretty even but i prefer this only because this is easier to watch um much better than the book I'm sorry, Stephen King. You know it. I know it. The world knows it. If you're listening, buddy, the movie (laughs) triumphs over your book. I am so excited for Dr. Sleep. I'm like reading it right now, but it's going to harken back to this. Let's see. What else I have written down here? Yeah, that's about it. I think it is very atmospheric horror. It's like a haunted house, except in this case, a haunted hotel very psychologically disturbing as well, especially in terms of isolationism. I could not imagine being locked with my family for months on end with nothing but snow and a maid and a kitchen full of food, which is fine and dandy, but like if there's fucking ghosts in this hotel, (laughs) I'm shit out of luck. I'm gonna kill somebody, I guess. (laughs) Um, I don't know, very influential movie to me as well. The acting is superb, Jack Nicholson. The late Shelley Duvall. Um, and the kid. She's still as well alive. As Batman's, Batman. Batman. That guy. <laughs> She's alive, but her career is dead. But yeah, that's my number one, The Shining. I cannot wait to rewatch it for this year. I must say. Same. 
it's going to be interesting with Doctor Sleep because it's not going to be they the trailer basically tells us they're doing it based as a sequel to the sh- the movie basically and not really doing it by the book. So we'll see how that goes. Yeah. Probably some controversy ahead. Well, I think I mean, King had to approve it because this so far nothing's happened so far. Look how far I am into this. Oh, yeah, I didn't care for Doctor Sleep. I read it too, and I was like, "Yeah, nothing's happened." Fine. So, wow. And right. The Shining has been done so many times, often, especially like here's Johnny scene. I mean, talk about an iconic movie in and of itself with quotes. I wish we could insert quotes into this because literally the scene where she brings him a sandwich and then Jack Nicholson starts like, I want some fucking peace and quiet. I always tell my parents that when I want peace and quiet, I'm just going to start quoting that and I want them to be shocked. Yeah. Oh my God. That's how like in love with this movie I am. (laughs) This is what, 1980? Ordinary People, which is a family domestic drama, came out in 1980. This is also a family domestic drama, except with ghosts. Yeah, good pick. I like it. And I've seen this in theaters too. It's great. I've seen it twice in theaters. So good. Very nice. Okay, my number one. I can't even, I don't even know what yours would be. Really? Okay. I thought it'd be the comedy. It's one that has been mentioned. Oh. Yeah. So 1960 Alfred Hitchcock, Psycho. Of course. That's what I thought it was going to be. Plot yeah. twist. Well, you know, it's it, it makes sense because my number two, Halloween. So it only makes sense that I talk about the film that probably inspired it more than any other movie. Um, you know, John Carpenter loved Alfred Hitchcock. He hired Janet Lee's daughter for his movie. And so you can see the influences here. Psycho is like this recent, at the time, recent ancestor of all the slasher films that came out in the 70s and 80s. Um, and it was over a full decade ahead, almost two decades ahead of all that. I really think, you know, Alfred Hitchcock, really known for shocking people and, you know, breaking trends and barriers and whatnot. And to kill, spoiler alert, I think Christian already mentioned this, but spoiler alert, you know, to kill the main star, you know, not even halfway into the movie and the manner in which he does it. There's a documentary completely just on that shower scene. Um, and so... Yeah, in terms of film, like edi- yeah, in terms of like just film editing, that scene is it just doesn't get much better than that. The music is obviously iconic. I also really love like before I watch this movie to watch Alfred Hitchcock's trailer that he did for it, um, mm. where he's like walking through Bates Motel or the house, and he's like, "Ah, uh, yes, this is where it happened, and this is where the other one happened." And we don't know what he's talking about if you haven't seen the movie. Um, but the way he built it up, it is truly shocking and holds up in that way. The jump scare when we see Norma Bates, um, still so effective. And the ending scene is just really very chilling. And Anthony Perkins just like gets into your soul at the end of that scene. And so when I first made this list, this went right up to the top. Never replaced it. Halloween came close, uh, but this one is obviously so influential for that, and just really like surprisingly rewatchable too. Um, I could sit down and watch it whenever, you know. And so, love it. Psycho, my number one. 
Hitchcock did such a good promotional gimmick with this too, of like, don't spoil the ending. Mm-hmm. Which yes. he got off of a French film, um, Diabolique. I don't know if I'm saying that right, but I just watched it oh, like right. last week, and they're like, don't spoil the ending. And he loved that movie enough that it's like in Psycho 2. But still, like, don't spoil the ending. That is so great because the ending is shocking to anybody who hasn't seen it. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's great. All right. That is our top 10 horror films of all time for each of us. And we know, I mean, I think anybody knows who makes lists for anything. It's super freaking hard to narrow it down to 10. So I had five or six honorable mentions. Zay, did you have some that you wanted to list off real quick? I sure fucking did because this list was so hard to make. Um, but I kept it. To, I, my honorable mentions are kind of just like things I super love, but maybe not everyone thinks about. Plus one super popular one that no one talked about at all. Um, first, we have 1987's Anguish, which is a Spanish like psychological psychological horror film. It's um, it's Spanish, but it has Zelda Rubinstein from Poltergeist fame. Oh, this movie! Yeah. So, yeah, I have. To, I always have to like find it on like third party sites. Support your library if you can, kids. Um, it's just so good. Psychological horror, very good movie and a mo- movie within a movie. That's how good it's so good. Um, then 1932, Todd Browning's Freaks is a movie I love a lot. It's pretty exploitive, and some of the stuff definitely doesn't age well. But you can't make a, you, a movie like that has never been made again. And it's just great. It's, of its time, I love it. Um, then a movie I discovered this year that I love a lot is 1995's Tales from the Hood, which is a one of my favorite anthology horror films I've ever seen. Because I don't really like that genre a whole lot, but that one's perfect. Lots of social commentary. Each one of the... Uh, short films is perfect and then a sequel well not a sequel well a sequel to me mentioning baby jane is 1964's straight jacket directed by william castle another psycho betty movie starring joan crawford it's perfect it's just it's zany but it's great she gives it her all in this movie and then finally i can't go without saying the texas chainsaw massacre toby hooper's classic that I love so much. It's gritty, it's dark, perfect. Very nice. Christian, did you have some honorable mentions? Yes, I did. And I'm actually, if we're talking about like honorable mentions, there's like a lot of movies that I super like. So this is kind of going off of Zay's little spiel here. Um, I don't know where they would ever place in anything, but yeah, these are them. So honorable mentions, Beetlejuice, I know it's kind of more of a comedy than anything, but I mean, for the kiddos, it could be scary. Um, mm-hmm. Jaws, which Brett talked about. Scream, which inspired our intro a little bit. Really a take <laughs> on every horror teen slasher film in the 90s, Wes Craven's film. Great movie. Sequel is equally as good. Third one's fine. Fourth one's good. Carrie, which Brett watched a few days ago. Another instance where the Stephen King adaptation is better than the book. Carry it off. Rosemary's Baby, which we spoke about. Had a really hard time putting not putting that on this list. But again, 
really hard list to make. One that I rediscovered a few weeks ago, Candyman. Whoa. Mm. Talk about a great film there. A lot of commentary on some stuff of America and like racism. Little Shop of Horrors, and I'm talking the musical version because I can, because any musical should be a horror musical. The Sixth Sense, which I actually had a hard time thinking, like Silence of the Lambs. Is this a horror movie or is this like a mystery thriller? Going off of Letterboxd, they don't consider this a horror movie, but whatever, I do. Trick or Treat, a great and quote-unquote anthology, yes. I guess. It all relates. Um, I love to watch this on Halloween, like Halloween night. It's normally my last movie of the month of October. Can't go wrong with The Nightmare on Elm Street. And I also want to point out a film I watched this year called Tales from the Hood. Great, <laughs> another great anthology, um, primarily with African Americans. And in terms of horror movies, yeah, really great. You can also watch Horror Noir, A History of Black Horror on Shudder, which made me want to watch that. So, yeah. Awesome. Okay, so uh, first one that just almost like very nearly made my list was 2013 Scary Movie 5. Uh, oh my god. Just kidding. <laughs> I was about to say, I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> uh, no, a few of them that actually made each of your each of your lists was um, Rosemary's Baby and The Exorcist. I had those honorable mentions. Also Scream, like Christian mentioned, just watched this year. Really great meta flick. Which is weird. You've never seen Scream before. I know. I know. That's another one where I've seen the scene with Drew Barrymore like numerous times online, but never seen the actual movie. Like, were you never a high schooler? Yeah. But um, one what, that was almost my most recent film on the list was Jordan Peele's Us from earlier this year. If you're going to watch a recent film about class and social stratification, don't watch fucking Joker. Watch Us. <laughs> <laughs> um. Another recent film from 2014 is The Babadook, which is mm. really good. Really good take. Zay, on... how dare you not introduce us to The Babadook? <laughs> <laughs> the shrug goes up. But no, S.C. <laughs> Davis is really great in that movie. Really great take on like grief and trauma. Um, I mentioned 2018's Halloween. I, I just really enjoy that movie. I think it's like a great Me Too era movie. And Jamie Lee Curtis is great in it. Also, really like Andy Matichek, um, who plays her granddaughter. That's a, I hope that's a star-making role for her. Night of the Living Dead, um, just because a great like if you want to be a filmmaker, that's a great movie to check out for like low-budget filmmaking. Uh, and yeah, and the last thirty minutes of Carrie, especially like the whole movie's really good, but the last thirty minutes are just amazingly brilliant. And so, is that everything leading up to the prom? Pretty much. What's that? Is that like everything leading up to the prom? Yes. Fuck them kids. Yeah. Well, the, the prom scene on is like what I find like amazing. So why would you carry it off? <laughs> yeah. So that, that basically covers it. We've covered the horror movies. Um, you'll be listening, you know, in the days leading up to Halloween this year, which is really exciting. We've got some good horror movies coming out like The Lighthouse. Uh, Might I give one more honorable mention? Yes, go for it. It's the Great Pumpkin, Charlie Brown. Oh, great. 
classic. That one, that one's for the kiddos who are listening out there. <laughs> well, for we're doing things for the kiddos, also Scooby Doo on Zombie Island. Yes, I agree with that. I agree with that. Okay, thanks for listening again, um, Zay. Thanks once again for joining us. Do you want to plug anything, especially your horror blog about yourself? Uh, yes, Queercher of the Night dot wordpress something or other you'll find it oh uh, yeah awesome christian i know things about to get busy for you with screener season and whatnot anything you want to plug there um brett and i saw harriet which i will be writing about in a week or so received my first screener which was the secret life of pets too so yeah the screeners are coming <laughs> Just got word that like the Irishman is coming to Kansas City, which is kind of amazing. Parasite, which is supposed to be like the biggest movie this year, is coming to Kansas City. Got my tickets to both along with Brett. So, yeah. Very nice. All that. Just check out my reviews on scenestealers.com or my letterbox or the Twitter. Very nice. Thanks for listening once again. Um, we really appreciate all of our devoted listeners who tune in. If you could share it with someone and make sure to um, rate and subscribe on a- Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen, we're basically wherever you can find all your favorite podcasts. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Letterboxd, and Instagram, um, and check out the website, gildedfilms.com. We will be back in November. We're actually going to have a new special guest, Toby, joining us for a special episode, and uh, we'll... We'll go from there. We're going to have a bit of a hiatus from our normal method because we have Oscar season coming around. So that's very exciting as well. But be sure to tune in. And once again, thanks for listening.